brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Today's podcast is presented by Pago. Pago is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Pago. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. But apply today, become a member, and really be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And don't forget to tell your listeners to add Monster Legend Podcast in the How to Hear About Pago section of this application. Okay. So don't forget to mention me when you sign up, people. Monster Legend Podcast. In the dark of the Hello, everybody. What's going on? It's me, Tanner. This is a Monster Legend Podcast, the weekly podcast about cryptids and folklore around the world. This week we're in South Carolina. I want to give a big shout out and thank you to everybody at the Small Town Monster Facebook group. Um, they really helped me out on this research and everything. I'm finding um, cryptids in South Carolina. So it has been. I've been working like tens all week, so I'm exhausted. It's Saturday now. Thankfully, we got Saturday off. We were scheduled for like Thursday, but thankfully we held off Friday. But let's let's get into it. Um, South Carolina, one of the thirteen original colonies, South Carolina has had a rich and varied history. When Spanish and French explorers arrived in the area in the 16th century, they found a land inhabited by small tribes of Native Americans. Lodgers of which were the Cherokees and the Catawabas. Uh, the first European attempts at settlement failed, but in 1670, a permanent English settlement was established on the coast near present-day Charleston. The colony, named Carolina after King Charles I, was divided in 1710 into South Carolina and North Carolina. Settlers from the British Isles, France, and other parts of Europe built plantations throughout the coastal low country, growing profitable crops of rice and indigo. African slaves were brought into the colony in large numbers to provide labor for the plantation, and by 1720, they formed a majority of the population. The port city of Charleston became an important center of commerce and culture. The interior of, or 
uh, upcountry, meanwhile, was being slowly settled by small farmers and traders, pushed the dwindling tribes of Native Americans to the west. By the time of the American Revolution, South Carolina was one of the richest colonies in South America. In America, its merchant and planters formed a strong governing class, contributing many leaders to fight for independence. More revolutionary war battles and skirmishes were fought in South Carolina than in any other state, including major engagements at Sullivan's Island, Camden, Kings Mountain, and Cowpens. South Carolina ratified the United States Constitution on May 23, 1788, becoming the eighth state to enter the Union. In the following years, the states grew and prospered. With the invention of the cotton gin, cotton became a major crop, particularly in the upcountry. A new capital city, Columbia, was founded in the center of the state, reducing somewhat the political power of the low country elite. Dissatisfaction within the federal government and its tariff policies grew during the peri- this period. In the 1820s, South Carolina, South Carolinian John C. Calhoun developed the theory of nullification, by which a state could break any federal law considered to be a violation of its rights. Armed conflict was avoided during this period, but by 1860, tensions between the state and the federal government reached a climax. Unhappy over restrictions on free trade and about calls for the abolition of slavery, South Carolina succeeded for the Union on December 20, 1860. The first of the southern states to do so when Confederate troops fired on Fort Sumner in Charleston Harbor on April 12, 1861. Nation plunged into civil war. The Civil War and its aftermath were devastating for South Carolina. The state lost nearly one-fifth of the white male population its economy was shattered. A final blow came in 1865 when General William T. Sherman marched his troops through South Carolina, burning plantations and most of the city of Columbia. The Reconstruction period that followed the war was marked by general economic, social, and political upheaval. The former white leaders found themselves without money or political power, while the large population of freed slaves sought to improve their economic and political positions. When federal troops withdrew in 1877, white conservatives led by Governor Wade Hampton were able to take control of state government once again. However, the economy continued to suffer in the years that followed. Cotton prices were low, and the plantation system that brought a South Carolina's such wealth was dead. Populist reforms in the 1890s brought more political power to small white farmers, but African Americans were disenfranchised and increasingly segregated. By the beginning of the 20th century, South Carolina was starting to recover economically. The textile industry began to develop first, then in the years that followed, other manufacturers moved into the state, providing jobs and economic stability. In recent years, tourism has become a major industry as travelers cover the state's beaches and mountains. On September 21, 1989, Hurricane Hugo struck the coast, causing great damage to homes, businesses, and natural areas. But the state had made a remarkable recovery in the ensuing years. The second half of the 20th century also brought enormous change in the status of black South Carolinians. 
The civil rights movement of the 1960s brought a relatively peaceful end to segregation and illegal discrimination. The most serious incident of this, pro of this period occurred in 1968 at Orangeburg, where state police shot three black protesters. Two years later, three African Americans were elected to the state legislature, and many others have subsequently served in state and local offices. As a century drew to a close, all South Carolina citizens were able to take part in the state's government and economy. Uh, Journal's state and history, U.S. border to North Carolina to South and West by uh, borders at North and Northeast by South North Carolina to the South and West by Georgia and the Southeast by the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, that's pretty much the history of South Carolina. If I find anything else here. Americans. This is from the state, South Carolina State Library. Lear, Osculo, a rising sun, a Seminole leader, eighteen thirty eight illustration from the Indian tribes of South America. Okay. Biographies. James Brown. James Brown's. Uh, here's some people from South Carolina, I guess. Uh, James Brown, Alice Childress, Chubby Checker, from the Faber Commanding of 20th Century Popular Music, King of the Twists. Checker was early to the 60s. Vernon and Erlen Castle. Uh, Stephen Colbert, from Cultural Wars in America, Exhibit of Issues, Viewpoints, and Voices. Uh, Joe Fraser. Uh, Dizzy Gilpsing, Shulis Joe Jackson, Jasper Johns, Eartha Kitt, Mickey Spillane, Chris Rock is from South Carolina, uh, Charles Pickney, Cor Corny Boyd Riley, Strom Thurmond, Thomas Sumner, Jesse Jackson, Andrew Jackson, Nikki Haley, John Edwards, John Cadwell Calhoun and uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. Those are some people that were uh, from South Carolina. So let's get into these monsters, these cryptids. Here we go. This is off from CryptoZoologyNews.com. Dinosaur shows up in South Carolina. A dinosaur-like creature was reportedly spotted in South Carolina. Colombian resident Anita Sullivan told Cryptology News she was driving with her husband on Interstate 20 on November 30th when they came upon the animal at around 12.30 p.m. Uh, she's quoted as saying, We were headed eastbound, crossing the Broad River Bridge. I was just looking out of the window casually and just happened to see what at first looked like a large snake moving slowly down the river. With his body moving slightly under the water, said Sullivan. It was coming north towards the bridge and then like to the left as it came up above the water. 
what am I yelling for? Uh, above the top of the water. A signing purely lasted about 10 seconds, and Sullivan said she was not able to snap a picture of the aquatic being. She quotes a saying, I was excited and freaked out. I didn't think to take a picture. The long-necked animal described as being black in color. It was finally breaking the surface of the water. I thought it was a baby dinosaur. But Nina says her husband, the driver of the vehicle, didn't see it. I merely told my husband, and I wanted to report it, but he didn't think anyone would believe me. Start yelling, calling my name, Nita, Nita, as if I was crazy, said Sullivan. Three weeks ago, a man in Canada reported seeing a similar creature. The Loch Ness Monster was probably first seen in 1933 by Londoner George Spicer, who claimed to have seen a dragon or a prehistoric animal, carrying an animal in its mouth. Seven months later, Hugh Gray released a photograph containing the alleged Plesiosaurus. Subsequent photographs were produced throughout the years, although many of them were proven to be hoaxes or simply floating tree branches. Alright. Uh, next one is from this is from three years ago. South Carolina man witnesses two red Bigfoot creatures. Uh, a man in Spartansburg County claims he saw Bigfoot twice. A man reporting the sighting, Pescolette resident Charles McDonnell, told Cryptozoology News on Tuesday that he was out in the woods when he saw the creature. I was hunting last deer. I was hunting last. I was hunting deer last season when I saw it for the first time. I was totally astounded. I thought I was seeing things, said McDonald's. Also provided a phone number to talk about the event. The man explained that a few weeks later, the fit creature showed up again. It was in the same area. I was so shocked, I didn't think about it using my weapon. McDonald's described the animal as a seven-foot-tall biped with reddish brown hair and a weight of approximately 300 pounds. With this deer season fast approaching, I'll be hunting the same area again, Next year, I'm not sure that I won't use my weapon if I see this thing again. Cryptozoology News advised man to not to shoot the alleged creature and to gather photographic evidence instead. The Pensacolent resident claims he had told friends and family, but that no one believes him. Everyone tells me I was imagining this, he explains. The town of Pensacolent was founded in 1859 and has a population of 2,500. In 2011, a South Carolina man claimed to have seeing a Bigfoot creature just outside his home in Lexington County. Uh, five years ago, Bigfoot seen South Carolina. Uh, a man claims he saw a large bipedal creature outside his home in Lexington County, just outside of Bakesburg, Leedsville. 20-year-old Lewis told Cryptozoology News he was sitting on his front porch when he, the incident occurred. I was sitting alone. I saw a movement in the tree line, he said, about the midnight encounter in the summer of 2011. At first, explains Lewis, he believes the animal was probably a deer, but that as it stepped out of the shadows, he was able to see it clearly. It came into focus. I ran inside, searching for someone, anyone to see what I saw, and maybe even to find a gun, if need be. The Baseburg resident saw, said the sighting lasted about five minutes, Grabs the creature as a six feet tall, shaggy bipedal. 
There's a local legend around the neighborhood about the Shaggy thing. I never believed it, but now I'm convinced. I've never seen Shaggy sing. I've seen the, sh the Shaggy sing, said Lewis. He did not prevent a video. He did not present a video or photographic evidence of the alleged incident. Back in March, a group of people released an audio file of what they call Bigfoot Yells in South Carolina. Okay, um, team of researchers says they have captured a series of unidentified yells in the westernmost parts of South Carolina. Melissa D. George, 48, and co-founder of the two-year-old Carolina Cryptic Crew Organization, told Cryptology News that the screens were captured at 3 a.m. on March 2nd at her property located in Upper State upstate O'Keeffe County, County. I lived here 29 years and I never heard this until recently, said George. We found evidence of Bigfoot on our property. Our property soon became our team's research area. Just listening with headphones worked best as this is quite a distance from the audio recorder. The audio file, which lasts a little over a minute, contains a series of high-pitched howls and dreaded by what appears to be a hooting of a nearby owl. Uh, George claims that she, uh, I think I probably won't put that in there because it, it sounds like nothing. Uh, George claims that she and her team have experienced wind knocks replies. They have noticed other strange activity going on in the same area. They've heard something walking around in our research area that night before, so we went to see if, if there was any evidence left behind. We got some sticks piled up and they're pretty good size. See, so. The woman who calls herself a ghost and cryptid hunter by night has also authored a few books on different paranormal subjects. From the demonic activity detailed in My Paranormal Life, A True Haunting, to her family's own Bigfoot encounters, told her 2014 title, Bigfoot Chronicles. She says she is sure that she had heard what's not an animal known to the locals. I am barely familiar with all the wildlife I grew up here. In recent years, some people have made similar claims about Bigfoot living in their own backyard. In 2014, Mary K. Scruggs, a minister in Alabama, said she believes there are a few Sasquatch creatures living around her property. She also released a capture sounds of what she thinks could be a baby Bigfoot. The Lizard Man In a folklore of Lee County, South Carolina, the Lizard Man of Scape or Swamp, also known as the Lizard Man of Lee County, is an entity said to inhabit the swampland of the region. First mentioned in the late 1980s, the purported sightings and damage Attributed to the creature yielded a significant amount of newspaper, radio, and television publicity. This is from the Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, professor of Religious Studies, Joseph P. Laycock, described the media frenzy and subsequent cult and appreciation for this other, and other similar claims as following a predictable chain of events. A strange sighting, media attention, more signs, followed by visits from curious tourists and monster hunters. Researcher Ben Radford states that this is a compelling story, but several important aspects wither under skeptical scrutiny. History on the Lizard Man. On July 14, 1988, the Lee County Sheriff's Office investigated a report of a car damage overnight while parked at a home in the area of Brown Town outside Bishopville, South Carolina, on the edge of the scape or swamp. Car probably had tooth marks and scratches of hair and muddy footprints left behind. Sheriff Liston Trusdale noted this was the start of various claims 
eventually coalesced into a story about a lizard man in a swamp. Prompted by the news of the vehicle damage, 17-year-old local Christopher Davis reported to the sheriff that his car was damaged by a creature he described as green, wet-like, about 7 feet tall, and had 3 fingers, red eyes, skin like a lizard, snake-like scales, two weeks prior. According to Davis, he was driving home from working the night shift and at a fast food restaurant with his car got a flat tire. After fixing it, he saw a creature walking towards him. Davis got in his car and began to drive, but the creature was soon on top of the car. He applied his brakes, causing the creature to roll off the car, giving Davis enough time to escape. Coverage by newspaper and media resulted in increased attention for his claims. Local businesses began selling Lizard Man t-shirts, and the local chamber of commerce encouraged media attention as good for the community. The increase in newspaper and media publicity prompted further reports of sightings. The area soon became a tourist attraction for visitors and hunters. Local radio station WCOS offered a $1 million reward to anybody who would capture the creature alive. On August 1st, Kenneth Orr, an airman stationed at Shaw Air Force Base, filed a police report alleging that he had encountered the lizard man on Highway 15. Um, and he had shot and wounded it. He presented several scales and a small quantity of blood as evidence. Or recanted this account two days later when he was arranged for unlawfully carrying a pistol in the misdemeanor offense of filing a false police report. According to Orr, he had hoaxed the sighting in order to keep stories about the lizard man in circulation. Reports of the creature gradually declined at the end of the summer. Local law enforcement officials speculate that the signs were likely to have been caused by a bear. In 2008, CNN mentioned the lizard man legend in a story about a couple in Bishop, Bishopville, South Carolina reported damage to their, own, their vehicle, including blood traces. The blood traces were simply found to be from a domestic dog, though the local sheriff suggested it might have been a coyote or a wolf. In 2015, local television station WCIB featured photos and videos claimed to be lizard man, allegedly taken by unidentified individuals. In August 2017, a South Carolina Emergency Management Division sent a humorous tweet regarding possible paranormal activity during the solar eclipse that passed over the area, hinting that the people of Lee and Sumner counties should remain vigilant for signs of the Lizard Man. Skeptical investigator Ben Radford states that the details of Chris Davis' stories do not hold up under scrutiny. Sheriff Truesdale stated that David's story never wavered, but Bradford writes that isn't true. Over weeks and months in repeated tellings, details changed many times, from having scales to the creature being packed with mud, how far away Davis was from the creature when he first saw it, and whether or not it attacked the car. Bradford questioned how Davis was able to see details of the lizard man creature at 2 a.m. when there was no lightning lighting nearby in a heavily wooded area. The moon was not bright. 
If this was an aggressive creature, why was there no other incredible sightings? According to the Radford, timing of Davis's story didn't make sense. If Davis saw the creature in the shadows, why was he closing the truck? While he was closing the trunk of his car, Davis allowed him to get back into the car and take off. Yet, claim, yet Davis claims that the creature was so fast that he caught up to the car when he was doing 40 miles per hour. Reports vary with the sources that David told the police about the attack two or more weeks later. After investigating, Raffert states that the lie detector test administered to Davis may have been a publicity stunt by Southern Marketing Incorporated, a company arranging personal appearances for Davis. Another curious issue was that there was no photographs of the damage to Davis' car, provided some evidence that something happened. Newspaper accounts give various descriptions of the damage to the car, and one local newspaper, Davis is quoted as saying, he escaped with no more than a scratch on his fender. Bradford states that, the, that Davis's report is quite literally incredible, riddled with both impossibilities and impossibilities. It may be sincere or it may be a, a hoax, but in either event, no hard, no hard evidence of the creature has been found. In 2010, a TV program, Destination Truth, featured the legendary creature. Children's books such as Manual Monsters and Bizarre Beasts include the monster in their best series. And Linda Goffrey's American Monsters include a chapter on the Lizard Man. <clears throat> Lizard Man has also appeared on the sci-fi show Fact or Fate in all of an episode titled <clears throat> Reptile Rampage. The original conspiracy story ran in more than 100 newspapers across this country. Oh, see. Oh, so it is a man taking you on your get off work. Not good at all. Here's a story I found. Hound of Goshen. In the old days before the Civil War, many wealthy Charleston planters had homes in the mountains of South and North Carolina. Where they could escape the humid heat and malaria that summer months brought to the low country. The main stagecoach route was called the Old Bookcomb Road, which roughly parallels Interstate 26 on today's map. In Union counties near the Newberry County line was a small village named Goshen Township. On the Old Buchanan Road, around 1850, a peddler and his faithful dog passed through the settlement. By the time a gruesome murder had occurred, being a stranger, the peddler had no one to stand up for his integrity, and after a hasty trial, he was publicly hanged. His poor white hound, hound stayed beside his master during the hanging, and for three days after the dead man was buried, the dog stayed at the spot and howled pitifully. The good town folk put an end to this by stoning the poor animal to death. It wasn't very long until travelers along the old road began reporting a large white dog which lurched at their horses and which was very white and frightening in appearance. Those brave enough slashed at the dog with their buggy whips, but the whips passed through the apparition. A dog was to follow the frightened passengers until it reached a certain cemetery, then was seen to leap through the lock gates. A Dr. Douglas was a 
county physician whose home was on the old road until his death obtained that the ghost dog often accompanied him on his rounds. He was never afraid of the ghost, considered to be a friend. By 1936, the road had been paved, and automobiles had replaced the horse and buggy. But the dog was still reported by those in cars on horseback and folks out for an evening stroll. One night in 1936, a young man was frightened enough, enough almost to death by a dog and barely reached his doctor's house before passing out. The dog was reported in the late 1970s when an old lady whose house faced the old road now seldom used was sitting on her front porch. She saw a large white dog come into her yard in size and leaped towards her. She fainted, did away, was a- but was able to recount her story when she recovered. The last reported sighting was in 1998. So this dog still roams around, still roams the road. As a sad footnote, deathbed confession by old man in the 1880s about the innocence of the peddler. Jay's note. Thanks for the story. Okay. So that was the Hound of Goshen. Very cool story. And ooh, last one. Here's a last little bit. So the boo hags of Gula culture. Have you ever been awakened in the morning? Absolutely exhausted despite a full night's sleep. Think about it for a minute. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to it. Let's take a little detour for a moment and talk about the historic Charleston City Market at 1 Market Street. Grocery vendors and butchers first occupied the original sheds of the market between 1804 and 1830. Those same sheds have withstood the years of wars and natural disasters. Today you can find all kinds of goodies, foods, jewelry, clothing, Leather items, wood carvings, and much, much more. Some of the coolest things you'll ever see at a market are the woven sweet grass baskets. Gula women and some men can be seen weaving their beautiful sweet grass baskets or selling gula souvenirs and spices. If you're not familiar with the gula culture, let me catch you up. The gula culture is the offshoot of the West African slave trade. It's important to recognize that slaves of other origins. American Indians, Asians, etc. didn't exist in those days, but by the mid-1700s, Africans were the majority, by far. They were highly desired and with good reason. In addition to being skilled carpenters and masons, Africans knew how to farm, and in particular, they knew how to cultivate rice, an important part of Charleston's agricultural commerce. Africans with various backgrounds were imprisoned together in large numbers and formed a cohesive culture, the Gola culture. Today, they are the descendants of African slaves brought to Carolinas in the 1500s. Almost half a million Gulas live on the eastern coast from Florida to North Carolina. Lots of Gulas live in the low country regions of South Carolina, and in particular the Sea Islands. The fact that Gula culture has been preserved for hundreds of years despite slavery, war, and natural disaster is, is a, a testimony of their resilience and fortitude. They're incredibly interesting people. Check out this video to learn more about this culture and history. One of the beliefs that Gaulists hold is that the people have both a soul and a spirit. 
He believes that souls leave human bodies upon death, and if it's a good soul, it ascends to heaven. The spirit of a person has a different function. A good spirit stays behind to watch over the deceased's family, guiding and protecting them if needed. A bad spirit, on the other hand, is a boo hag. The boo hag uses witchcraft to manipulate people and steal energy from the living while they sleep. Gulas sometimes bid each other goodnight, saying, Don't let the hag ride you. Boo hags are a little like vampires in that they are in beings that feed off of living humans. They are skinless and bright red in color with bulging blue veins. To survive in this world of living, they steal a living person's skin and wear it like clothes so they can move amongst the living without suspicion. At night, though, they shed the skin to go looking for a victim to ride. Boo hags are crafty. They can get into your house through very small openings, a slightly open window, or even a crack in a wall. Once inside, they sit on a sleeping victim's chest and steal their breath, or more specifically, their in injury ener energy. A boo hag will ride its victim all night long, then sneak away before dawn to return to its skin. If it can't get back into the skin before the sun comes up, it will be destroyed. There are some warning signs to let you know that boo hag is close. First, the air will become very hot and damp. Second, the air will smell like something is rotting. If you, but if you've woken up exhausted after a full night's rest, you may have been visited by a boo hag. Boo hags are not without weaknesses, though. First, like other evil spirits in Gulag culture, are repelled by repelled by indigo blue. If you go outside and paint the tops of your windows and frames indigo blue, blue hags won't be able to get through those windows. Salt, too, is a good boo hag repellent. A salted hag can't get back into its skin, but it's difficult to salt a hag, especially since you can't go, can't just run around pouring salt on people who deem suspicious. It's the easiest way to avoid a visit from the boo hag is to keep a straw broom or a brush with many bristles close by. Boo hags are apparently curious and compulsive creatures. They can't seem to pass a straw broom by without counting every last strand. By the time they finish counting, they typically don't have enough time to get back into their skin or the sun comes up. Sieves and strainers will also work because they also need to count all the holes. Some boo hags are able to count fast, so you might be able to keep a few bristle brushes and strainers around. If you wake up, discover a boo hag on your chest. It's best not to fight it. If you fight the boo hag, it might steal your skin. Have you, have you been exhausted lately? Tonight, when you go to bed, be sure to hang a strainer on your bedroom doorknob and leave a straw man, straw broom in the corner of the room. Maybe you should place a salt shaker on your night table, just in case. Hopefully there will be enough for you to have a good night. Sleep tight. And don't let the boot hag ride That was from Sacred and Haunts of Charleston. .wordpress.com. So, uh, that's pretty much it. That was kind of lying. There's some dogman sighting. Uh, it mentioned some dogman sightings, but dogman. Uh, do a quick search here. 
Uh, I don't see much typically dog man. Talked about four and uh Mexican episodes and stuff. Okay, let me oh I will thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast, Monsters of South Carolina. Make sure you uh got any questions or anything, leave a uh, voice message. And she can do so by going to the link down in the show notes. Have a great weekend. Have a great week and such. And bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. You can find most everything you need to know about Monster Legend Podcast at monsterlegendpodcast.com. There you'll find the social media feed, episodes, and where you can subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. It's all free. It's all available on your computers and mobile devices. So check it out. And thank you. And share with your friends. And don't be afraid to ask me any questions in any comments or uh, voice message, which you can find in the link down below in the show notes. Thank you.